Today's episode of Formidable Opponents is brought to you by HelloFresh. Do you feel like you are stuck in a dinner rut? With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients with mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. Skip all those trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. You can now enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in 30 minutes or less. With over 25 recipes to choose from each week, there is something for everyone to enjoy. All recipes are designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. You know, our show is about arguing the best, and I'm having a difficult time narrowing down what is my favorite HelloFresh meal. I love so many of them, but I have to say the Gouda Vibes Burger with the tomato jam and the potato wedges is amazing. Couple that with your favorite beer, put on your favorite gamer movie, you're in for a fun night topped off by an easy and delicious dinner. Go to the link in our show notes to get $80 off, including free shipping on HelloFresh, the number one meal kit. And now on to our show. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 30 of Formidable Opponents, a show that pits three people who have known each other virtually their entire lives in a series of conversations as we argue what is the best in a variety of fun, engaging, and critical pop culture topics we all like to debate about. I'm Randall, and with me as always, Bob and Joseph, and today's topic is best 80s rock song. So we've done the best 90s and best 70s rock song. On those episodes, we've talked about legendary bands like Nirvana, Metallica, Led Zeppelin, and Queen. Now we are talking about the 80s, but we promise not to get into Wham, Culture Club, and Flock of Seagulls. I have been specifically told not to discuss them at length, but I might get them in without hats mentioned in there. The 80s is a criminally underrated decade for rock. We often think of lipstick, spandex, big hair, new sounds, synth. The 80s was the look at me decade. Labels were now attaching images to sound more so than ever. At times, it felt like the style took over substance, and bands who weren't video-friendly took a backseat to those rock stars who sold more than records and concert seats. Rock music was no longer about just rebellion. Soft rock, pop rock, yacht rock, synth rock, and glam metal were now taking up space on the stage. Rock was now categorized in new and often complex genres that were still evolving. MTV helped to eliminate the rock song. I mean, the longer the music video, the shorter amount of time you can fit in commercial sponsorship to keep the channel afloat, right? Gone were seven-minute guitar solos and extended verses. The 80s rock scene was essentially asking rock musicians from the prior era, you know, the purveyors of rebellion and angst, to either conform or fade out. This was a new decade and a new audience that pushed away the radio for television. In summation, bands like Jethro Tull were screwed and left to welter in the sea of classic rock stations that you were forced to listen to during oil changes and visits to your chiropractor's office. Today, we are talking best 80s rock song. Bob and Joseph, how are you guys doing? Doing good, man. Doing good. I was doing great until you used the word summation. <laughs> talking about rock. God damn it. <laughs> doing very good. I got a, a, a Houston Astros win, a Dallas Cowboys win, so I might start doing some high kicks like Tommy Lee. Uh, <laughs> I mean, not Tommy Lee, uh, David Lee Roth. David Lee Roth. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. Got your spandex on, boy. Uh, I'll probably fucking pull a muscle in. <laughs> but we'll see what happens. Guys, let's start off by asking this. When you think of 80s rock music, 
What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Spandex, <laughs> exactly. Aquanet, exactly. makeup. <laughs> you know, all these. Uh, it was. It was. It's like the. It was the MTV of rock and roll, man. It was the MTV era, so there's a lot more. Uh, uh, more like pop rock and and you know he said electric and and uh, everybody wanted to make this cool music video and of course they all later became extremely cheesy and terrible looking back at them now yeah it was it was a very different era for rock music i agree i i had the exact same thing written down when i saw that i thought of uh, uh eddie murphy and in, in the nutty professor saying spandex all oh, spandex <laughs> uh high kicks frilly lace and and as the great charlie murphy late great charlie murphy said the guy that looked most like a bitch was getting all the women so <laughs> i honestly think when i think of 80s rock music i think of um I do think of the spandex. I do. I do think of the lipstick and the high hair. But there was uh, an eclectic feel to to eighties rock. I think not only with imagery. I think a lot of people started experimenting uh, with um, uh, uh, with everything, everything, assortment of things. Right? I didn't want <laughs> to plethora, go there. a plethora. But there were a lot of things coming to um, fruition in the eighties when it came to rock music. It was no longer the the long anthemic. It was more of the anthemic songs. It was no longer the long guitar solos, the long drawn out, like sort of drug inducing psychedelic sound. We we're trying to get away from that. And everything was short, brief, and it was all made for TV. It was all wrapped and packaged up for MTV. Now, speaking of MTV, guys, did video truly kill the radio star? Did we see a lot of our great 70s rock artists just fall to the wayside because of MTV? In the eighties, yeah. <laughs> uh, in the eighties, yeah, I'll, I'll agree that uh, the eighties and, and the nineties uh, were, I guess, what you would say killed uh, the radio star. But for me, it, it's it's kind of hard to answer that because uh, myself and and well, we kind of all did, but I know. I'll speak specifically for me. I grew up in, um, you know, the music video age and, and MTV was already well established, you know, in the late 80s. And, and then obviously the the next 90s, you know, it it, it only continued uh, in the 90s and the 2000s. And VJs were these, you know, huge stars at the time, you know, video jockeys, whatever you want to call them. They were just, you know, nobody nobody really makes music videos anymore. We all know this. We've discussed this. You know, only you see videos on on YouTube just to promote a single here and there. So, so yeah, I guess... Uh, I'd kind of, I kind of agree with that because, I mean, how real popular were were radio stars? Is it just really a song, or do do we really have like these people that were considered radio stars? Because, but like I said, for me, it's just all kind of been music videos. You know, that's pretty much all I know. So I would agree to that to a point, most definitely. What about you, Bob? Uh, it, it. I mean, the, the, I don't think it killed the radio star. I think it actually enhanced it. I think it created these superstars and these pop culture little icons because they actually got to see their their favorite band uh, fans got to see their favorite band on tv on a regular basis it wasn't just uh seeing the beatles catching the beatles on the ed sullivan show you were able to see uh acdc or um culture club or kaja gugu whatever the hell you're into on mtv on a nightly or daily basis and you know for, for their singles that they're releasing and I think it created like it got fans more into bands and more into uh, the music. So I don't think it really killed the radio star. I think it, if, if anything, it enhanced. Uh, I wouldn't use the word enhance, but like uh, it, it created more fans of the music. I agree with you. With one exception, though, it really fucked up Billy Squire. I will say that because that guy was, he was he was great in the late 70s. He was on the decline, sir, on the decline. <laughs> in what ways did 80s rock differ from 
the previous uh, decade of 70s rock. For example, we saw shorter songs and they had a lot less blues influence. Are there any other things that you could point out the difference between the two decades? Well, I, I think it, it just transitioned from that bluesy psychedelic type of rock that we saw from you know, the Led Zeppelins and Pink Floyds to this more of like this pop rock kind of sound. You said more synthesizer, more electronics, more upbeat. Uh, like I said, there with the birth of MTV, uh, the sound I think had to change, you know, I don't think somebody wanted to sit around and watch. And I love this song, you know, uh, uh, Stairway to Heaven from Led Zeppelin. I don't think anybody wanted to sit around for 13 minutes and watch, you know, this slow, sad melody, uh, melodic song, uh, music video, right? They wanted to see, you know, like again, David Lee Roth doing fucking kicks and cartwheels and shit on stage. So it had to be a little more poppy, a little more catchy, a little more entertaining. Uh, yeah, I saw it all as uh, it, it's all about the party. Uh, this was a completely different change of, of music. We see it prominent in pretty much every uh, 80s rock music video that we probably researched or saw or looked up uh, to do this. It was all about having a good time. Girls, 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 mostly we're talking about the 80s, you know, quote unquote, excess rock scene, I guess, if you want to call it that. And it's pretty evident that it was, um, you know, a bunch of dudes wanted to be the guys, you know, playing the music uh, on stage. uh, And the girls wanted to be the, you know, the girls that that went home with the guys that were on stage. So it it was, to me, that's, Aside from, and we're talking about 80s rock, I know we got, you know, 80s pop, 80s, you know, everything else. Uh, that's a whole separate genre in itself. But as far as 80s rock, this is, this was very uh, dominant in everything that I saw. I mean, every fucking music video had a bunch of girls or, or something or, or, you know. It was a big so party, it was all, it was, Yeah, it was, it, was all, it was all a big party. Uh, and, you know, it was completely different from what we saw in the 70s. The things that we talked about in length on that previous podcast, completely different. And you know what I'm thinking? You, you guys brought up a good point that I didn't even have on my notes. It was very hedonistic in nature. There was a lot of, I think what it tried to do as MTV as an influence, it was trying to bring about more of a diverse crowd. I think you had rock as a very male driven genre in the seventies, whereas, you know, rock in the eighties, even though a lot of these uh, songs maybe weren't, um, didn't age very well, but they were bringing in more, of female influence in terms of like these are who are we attracting these are who we're singing to and this is our audience now and they're they were broadening their horizon i, I also think the 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 drug culture kind of take it kind of kind of played a huge role in this is not not just mtv and everything psychedelics and you know uh, marijuana were really huge in the 70s and then mm-hmm. the 80s you like you always like you mentioned last time we did the uh, the worst 80s music video uh cocaine cocaine was really prominent in the 80s so you know i think it really did have a big influence now. A lot of these musicians were on drugs and and doing cocaine, and they wanted to party and stay up late. And I think the music kind of reflected uh, the type of drugs that they were doing. The lyrics too, it most definitely like uh, like you mentioned, shifted away from the blues, uh, the deep tracks about life and and things happening around the world at the time in the you know the sixties and the seventies uh, were gone, and it was just straight up party and 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 love ballads. You know, seen to those girls like you mentioned. That's that's pretty much what it was. Deep, deep shift from the from the seventies. I mean, really huge. Like, I mean, it was it's crazy how how it went from one thing to the next. Yeah, in the seventies, kind of like your makeout music could also sort of double as like funeral music. But now, <laughs> but now in the eighties, it was very specific towards like, okay, we're trying to get this audience into the fold so we can make more money and of course hook up with more more females and and lead this lifestyle of what a rock star is now that we have the visuals on television a last opening question guys the 80s rock scene has been noted as a there's something for everyone sort of 
era. Was this the most eclectic decade for rock when you consider there was everything from Iron Maiden to Frankie Goes to Hollywood? Was this the most eclectic era? Yeah, I, I agree with that big time. I, ha- I had written down in my notes and, and probably, um, you know, mentioned it again at some point. Not the not only did the 90s have something for everyone, I think rock music in general, specifically of the 80s, had something for everyone. It's it's one of the most diverse uh, eras of, of music. We had uh, the 80s uh, glam metal, glam rock, like you mentioned, the straightforward rock, uh, you know, the Eddie Money, Take Me Home Tonight. Uh, two tickets to paradise oh. stuff, Bon Jovi's anything, pretty much Bon Jovi. I mean, if you want to call that love rock, whatever, hair metal, and of course, you know, thrash metal, the best form of '80s rock, but uh, probably not the most popular or commercialized. So, I yeah, this '80s '80s rock, I, I so diverse. It's crazy, like how how you know how you can separate them by just music, speed of of sound, or or, or and a, a lot of things. It's actually it's actually kind of cool how how many genres are depending on what you were into uh yeah i can agree with that a thousand percent it's the most diverse uh decade in rock music other than the 70s and 80s and 2000s for sure there's just so many different types of rock music and bands and sounds in that decade which really it's really pretty pretty crazy to think about I honestly think that uh, when we look at diversity i think image once again plays a role in it i think a lot of people were felt like they were seen now and when they were when they were being seen i think a lot of attachments were made from you know whether you were in a high school clique, whether you were lonely or whatever, you started associating yourself with certain people like, okay, like I like that type of music. And now I see what that person looks like. So I'm going to tailor my style to, to that person. Whereas, you know, the decade before everybody was just kind of, they looked you know, very uh, homogenous, you know, they look very yeah. uniform, you yeah, know, for sure. And I, I think the style and the substance really elevated not only fans of rock, but young people to to sort of associate themselves with there was an intimacy to that because you saw it on television. You saw the interviews, you saw them on MTV all throughout the hours. And remember the impetus of MTV, there was not a lot of bands. There was a handful of rock bands. So you could pick your favorite bands. You could be a Duran Duran fan or a left or a dead a Def Leppard fan, excuse me. And you could just say, that's my band. And you will see them like, you know, four or five times a day. Yeah, for sure, man. With, 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 the, with the birth of, of MTV, it completely, it completely changed uh, the fan and, and helped them connect with, with uh, you know, individual bands and styles and sounds and all the great things about the 80s. So we're going to go on to our honorable mentions. Guys, who do you have for honorable mentions? We'll start off with you, Joseph. I haven't written. Okay, I'm scrolling to where I haven't written down. <laughs> Scroll. Do you like flag of seagulls? <laughs> uh, right, as is. Okay, for yeah. So honorable mentions. Uh, look, I I'm gonna pretty much just say everybody, every song that I truly like, whether they were, um, you know, a favorite or not, or whether you listen to them or, or they they got promotion play. So just straight up, uh, Slayer, Raining Blood, <laughs> Dio, Rainbow in the Dark, anything by Metallica, Market <laughs> <laughs> <Jesus laughs> the Moon, uh, Ozzy Osbourne, Ace of Spades, Motorhead. See you in hell by Grim Reaper. What yes. great fucking song. Bound by Blood by Exodus. Uh, Rock of Ages by Def Leppard. I know a lot of people at least will, will know that one. Uh, great fucking song. Def Leppard. Uh, great. Actually, pretty good band. We just saw this one last night. 18 in Life. Skid Row, man. Oh, oh, such a great song. fucking yeah. song. This one is crazy. I'm sorry. This is like kind of a big list. Uh, Cults of Personality. Cults oh, of Personality by Living Color. This song, it, I didn't like. Maybe it. we can talk about it later. Uh, didn't like it. We can talk like, about it now because I have it on my list too. No, 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 no I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I just, no, I just think it's crazy. Like, 
I used to always think this was a 90s song until I actually looked it up. And it's it it, it sound is so like it's it just doesn't scream night 80s to me. And it came out in the 80s. You know what it it screams? It screams like they're trying to rip off uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan. That guy sounded was trying to make his voice sound exactly like Stevie Ray Vaughan. That's why I didn't like it very much. Oh, I fucking know. So, well, Play them side by side or back to back, man. It sounds like he's trying trying too hard to be real quick. Evil by Merciful Fate, King Diamond. Wow, that dude's 80s. That's some iconic 80s vocals. If you know anything about that dude, those high-pitched screams, that guy, that's crazy. He's on another level. Is This Love by White Snake? I mean, you got to give them props. Those guys mm-hmm. are awesome. Dude had a great voice. Sister Christian. And I don't really like this band, but everybody will appreciate this song. And everybody loves this song. Silent Lucidity. Yeah, Queensryche. Queensryche. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's just a good song. I don't particularly like that band or anything else by them but that's a good song my bad that was a guy kind of a long <laughs> no, no. I, I, I got a long it's, list too. It's, that's good that's good oh, but it's right fans only know like three or four of those songs <laughs> i know right <laughs> let's see, let's see. <laughs> i'm gonna have to erase all references to 38 special after all those bands. <laughs> <laughs> i mean like everybody that painted their nails black and high school was like fuck this guy gets me Right, I speak to him. I speak to you. Uh, uh, you like flock of seagulls. <laughs> you like flock of seagulls. <laughs> oh man, no, I love all the songs. It's crazy. I know all the songs. I love all the songs. I like how you mentioned Bark at the Moon by Ozzy, man. That's fucking awesome. Uh, ACDC's Back in Black, 1980. Uh, huge, 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 huge song. I love that, that song. My top honorable mention, of course, you mentioned Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer. Uh, Def Leppard, pour some sugar on me. Billy Idol, who I don't think gets enough credit, man. I think yes. he was one of the biggest names and and had the best videos and right. best rock stars of the eighties, man. And I don't think he gets enough credit. Yeah. Can't for believe you mentioned him. My bad. Yeah, Billy Idol, Rebel Yell, dude. I I, I love Billy Idol. Santa, this Billy, <laughs> you gotta get hurt. <laughs> I was thinking of the wedding singer. <laughs> We're not gonna take it. Home sweet home by Motley Crue. Uh, Paradise Go City, ahead. man. There's just so uh, top poisons talk dirty to me. Love that song. There's just so many great, great 80s rock songs. It was really hard to choose. Pick one out of the bunch. What do you got, Ren? I'm going to be very careful because one of our most popular episodes was Best 90s Rock Song. And I got so much shit for mentioning the Cranberries as an honorable mention. What the fuck are you doing mentioning the Cranberries as a... I don't know. I I wasn't thinking. So my apologies for the thousands of people who have who have uh, emailed me about that. Um, back, back in Black, ACDC, got to have it. I had Dr. Feelgood by Motley Crue. Uh, yep. Now, now the only doctor that makes Vince Neil feel good is the one who warns him about his high cholesterol. Um, <laughs> oh, that guy's in horrible shape. Oh man! <laughs> pour, pour some sugar on me by Def Leppard. Um, I did have "Don't Stop Believing" by Journey. That's going to be the kind of like you know, hey, it's got a great guitar solo. It's it's a it's a it's a fun song to listen to. Mm-hmm. Start me, start me up by the Rolling Stones. I had one by Metallica. I had "Dancing with Myself" Billy Idol, Barracuda by Heart. Uh, Let's Go Crazy by Prince. I also had Cult of Personality by Living Color. Another Brick in the Wall, um, Pink Floyd. Uh, Another One Bites the Dust by Queen. Tom Sawyer by Rush. Money for Nothing, Dire Straits. A Love Removal Machine by The Cult. Still the <laughs> still the night where White Snake completely fucking rips off Led Zeppelin <laughs> every way, and I want to rock by Twisted Sister. Yeah, Twisted Sister, man, another big band of the eighties. Oh, love them, man. I think let's let's talk a little bit about Twisted Sister. I don't think they get the credit because they came off really cartoonish, I, and I don't think people took them seriously. I think that I wouldn't even I would go so far as they look like WWF wrestlers in the nineteen eighties. <laughs> they had a different look. 
but they they had badass music. I really do. And you know, when you hear Twisted Sister, it screams '80s rock music. So I I, I agree that they don't get enough credit. They they put out some good tunes, man. Dee Snider had an awesome voice too. Like he oh, really yeah. did. I mean, he was he was awesome. He had some great uh, highs and and some some when he wanted to do the you're gonna burn in hell. You know, it was fucking, like, it was oh. awesome. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know he's yeah he's I don't I don't I've never heard him you know not considered a, a great vocalist, but uh, I do think he's 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 a little underrated. But at least people don't talk about like Twisted Sister, Twisted Sister, or, or D. Snyder like like they weren't you know fucking cool. They're they I mean he was what was fucking awesome. Remember when he did that that thing where he showed up in front of like uh, what was it the Congress court. or something? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, dude, this guy's a, he's an intelligent he's a motherfucker. He's, 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 he's a good guy, and he's a and he's a and he's a great singer. And and that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to to look this way and shock you, and and they wanted you to be afraid of them because you bought their albums. You fucking made money for them, so good for him. I, I they they may get a little flack or they may be you know people don't talk about him maybe that that much but they should because of the shit that he did and and standing up for musicians in general i mean he wasn't the only one that did it like john denver was there i believe too as well <laughs> sunshine <laughs> on my goddamn yeah, shoulders sunshine john on my denver. goddamn shoulders john, john john denver denver was there. he was full of shit um, <laughs> I, I was gonna say the one glaring omission that i had because i didn't have it on my list either poison nobody mentioned the song by poison i did i did i did, did I you? i'm sorry i mentioned talk dirty to me i'm sorry i thought i thought yeah talk dirty to me was awesome i was gonna mention every rose has a thorn but i didn't want to make you cry no no aerosmith so you know mm. i guess i no, guess 70s I, I, was more I, than 70s. Yeah, we, exactly. we had this conversation aerosmith in the 70s and aerosmith in the 90s were, were really big i think yes i think in the 80s they had that you know yeah we talked Grant, about this Grant we, Steven we, tyler was was not in the greatest of shape in the 80s so, oh yeah uh we, you know and he mounted that big comeback you know with run dmc when they where they use the song I know, Look, i'm gonna go ahead joseph no i'm just saying yeah i, I agree just 100 with that we talked about this like we said we looked i i even looked at the albums in the 80s and i didn't know any of the songs or really remember them or anything so it was the 70s they were fucking awesome in the 70s and, and then they had that huge 90s resurgence with the with uh, the fuck, I can't remember the name of the album but it had a uh, crazy and, and yeah, no, that was, that, i think that was no, the greatest hits. yeah i'm sorry yeah but uh, so, they, no, they they had some great. Uh, they had one with that crazy. Was it crazy? What else was on there? I mean, we know they were there. Uh, crazy. No, I hate Ragdoll. Uh, Ragdoll crazy, yeah, uh, Ragdoll was crying crazy. and uh, remember crying. I was crying. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. You know, it's amazing. It's a good so, song. Yeah. So they they had a just for me. I know. I mean, we know they were making music, but we talk about them more, like uh, appreciate them more, or, or like their stuff more in the seventies. And in the in the nineties and, and further on. I know. agree a thousand percent. When I think of Aerosmith in the eighties, the, the three songs that come to my mind are Ragdoll, uh Love in an Elevator, and uh Dude Looks Like a Lady. And I think all those songs suck. I hate Ragdoll. I can't fucking listen to that song. I think yeah. it's stupid. I mean and that's I, and that's kinda of, that's sad because you know how how great we talk about them, you know, with their stuff in the seventies. You're not gonna later. like every song from every band, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not gonna it's not gonna I mean, they're gonna have some some hits and some misses for sure. I mean, I'm not counting "Walk This Way" because to me that's a '70s song. The re- the remake oh, yeah. with Run DMC was amazing, but uh, totally different. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into our selections. Bob, you're up first. Who'd you pick and why? Well, speaking of jump, I after thinking for a while, man, you know, like we said, there's a lot of great '80s songs and rock songs and whole lot of different genres of '80s rock songs. But I really do think that the the choice I made was the best, maybe the most influential. I decided to go with uh, Van Halen's "Jump." Like I said, uh, there's just so many great rock songs and bands of the 80s. 
that made this choice extremely difficult. But, you know, at the end of the day, you got to go with the most successful, uh, one of the most successful and influential rock bands of the 80s, which is Van Halen, led by the greatest guitar player of that decade and arguably of all time, the late, great Eddie Van Halen and quite possibly the best rock frontman of the 80s. You guessed it, Mr. Kicks and Flips, David Lee Roth. Van Halen was the biggest rock band of that decade and, and their album, 1984, went multi-platinum and had four huge hits, including my pick, uh, Jump, which happened to be Van Halen's only number one hit on the Billboard Top 100 chart, thanks to its huge radio success and, of course, its popular MTV music video. The song was the sound of 80s rock music. This hair metal pop rock sound was, was emulated by damn near everyone in the 80s from its opening synthesizer riff, which happens to be the most recognizable opening in the 80s, by the way, to its, uh, to its catchy David Lee Roth lyrics, to, of course, its epic Eddie, uh, Eddie Van Halen guitar solo, as well as the synthesizer solo that he did. This song just defined 80s rock music like no other song did. Like I've said before, they were emulated over and over and copied over and over by dozens of popular rock bands and one-hit wonders in the 80s rock scene. Everyone wanted that epic guitar solo like Eddie's. Uh, bands wanted to have that flamboyant frontman like David Lee Roth and their sound, especially that mix of that electric guitar and the synthesizer like they had in Jump, that catchy pop rock tune was used countlessly in the mid to late 80s. It's used and copied over and over and over again. I don't think Van Halen, especially their song Jump, just gets enough credit for the amount of impact that it had on 80s rock music. Again, it's emulated over and over and over again. That that synthesizer, that guitar solo that everybody tried to pull off that you hear in just about every big popular uh, hairband song of the 80s. So my pick, again, going with Van Halen, it's really hard to top. It's really hard to top. I know you all. Went in a different direction, and we'll talk about your picks when we get to that point. But for Van Halen in 1984 to put out this new sound because they're extremely popular in the late in the late 70s, you know, they had their 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 huge success with Running with the Devil, and and the 80s sound was completely different. We can't argue that their sound didn't change, but that sound that they created in '84 really kind of set the standard for the rest of the rock scene in the 80s. It was no longer just that hard rock, bluesy rock. Uh, psychedelic rock it kind of changed adding that synthesizer adding the clothing adding in the music video doing the dancing doing all that creative things that they did you know they really changed the game and i think jump was that catalyst that really really spoke to 80s rock music fans what do y'all think about it well i mean for me i'll I'll say that like anything talking about the van halen is is cool because of eddie van halen uh just fucking awesome a great musician that we lost uh I think uh, Van Halen, their 70s albums had better hits, uh, better songs. Um, for me, the 80s, when I was doing the research on their, on their music in the 80s, and particularly this song, and, and The Cradle Will Rock was released in 1980. And I think uh, that was their best song until this album came out, this 1984 album that came out. Uh, this was a shot in the arm uh, to me for them, because if you look at the albums released up until this one in the 80s, those uh, singles that were released, I don't know them. I don't really remember them and they don't stand out. And you might not even know most of them yourself. Uh, this album here was a return and it had four singles and three great hits What I from what I can from what I believe. And I think that the best song off of this album and that I think is a better pick for you, Bob, and this is 
to say because it's like fucking Van Halen is Panama. Panama is this fucking great song to me. Panama uh, seems like the better rock song, and I think it 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 fits the vibe of the of the eighties at the time. No, I, I completely just now look now look. Well, I will say to this because I do think you have a good point. My favorite song off this ho- album is Hot for Teacher. I was about to say like maybe my, even Hot for fa- Teacher. My favorite song for from this album is Hot for Teacher. It's not Jump. I chose jump because of the influence, because of the synthesizer, because of the electric guitar, because of the solos. It screams 80s. Panama doesn't scream 80s to me. Hot for Teacher doesn't scream 80s to me. Jump is the quintessential 80s pop rock song. And I think like everybody copied that kind of sound after it. That specific sound in that specific song. And I can see your point, but for me... I'm viewing it like uh, let's let's keep the pop out of it. I understand your point. Yeah, the, it had everything on that song. It had every piece of like the fucking '80s uh, music genre all together. But for me specifically, when I you know we're talking about '80s rock, I just thought Panama had it, man. I, I really do. Eddie Van Halen's guitar playing is amazing. It's always been amazing. It just stands out for me. It's just more like you know fucking Dana Panama. I mean, it's, just, it's fucking cool. <laughs> it's, you know, I think it's you really know, awesome. It, what's it, crazy is it comes off of this album, like their basically comeback album of the eighties, and on and sadly their last one with David Lee Roth at the time. You know, it's kind of crazy. The the, uh, the great thing about it is you know, and I agree, Panama was a great song. So was Hot for Teacher, but Jump was the only one that reached number one no. on the Billboard Hot One Hundred, the, the, the top one hundred. There, the, oh, that's the only song from the band from Van Halen eighties that reached number one. So. You know, it, it was their biggest song, and I think because it was their most influential. What do you I got, got you. Ryan? What do you think about it? Well, I think uh, Criss Cross and the Pointer Sisters had a better jump song. No, no, no. No, I, <laughs> I love this song. Uh, as a disclaimer, I really love Jump by Van Halen. I love it as a pop song, maybe not so much as a rock song. But I will say this. Yes, it was Van Halen's first number one, and I have some great memories listening to Jump. I mean, it, it's a song that you could still hear in um, basketball games and, and, and arena rock. It, it's such a great song. But how could you pick a song that broke up the band? Is my question. <laughs> <laughs> band- I think it was. I, I think it had more to do with an ego of Mr. David Lee Roth. Now get out of my Van Halen T-shirt before you jinx the band and they break up. <laughs> how, and Van Halen found themselves in the transition. It was it was Eddie versus Dave essentially, and this is very timely because we're coming up on the one year anniversary of of the great Eddie Van Halen's uh, uh, death. He he uh, passed away uh, last year on October the sixth. And by the time this gets posted, it'll be October the 5th. So we're coming up on that anniversary. Songs that rocked on that album, Hot for Teacher, Panama, Top, Gin- uh, Top Jimmy, Girl- Girls Gone Bad. But going back to the Dave versus Eddie uh, dilemma, I think oftentimes we, we saw a, an influence on 80s pop music that Eddie Van Halen kind of saw himself, you know, having the band sort of go towards. I think David Lee Roth wanted to stay in that 70s genre. And Bob, to your point, yes, you have to evolve, right? You evolve or or people just consider you a, a you know, one trick pony or, or an era specific band. Eddie exactly. Van Halen had bigger plans. That's why they went on and made hits with Sammy Hagar. So you could say he was right. But I think diehard fans are saying, well, you know, David Lee Roth kept it to the rock. And, and the songs that were like 70s hard rock influence, like Hot for Teacher, as we mentioned, Panama, Top Jimmy, etc. They were the ones, you know, that they were David Lee Roth's brainchild. And first of all, the guy wasn't a great singer, but he had a great mind for rock. He was a great front man. This was synth pop. The synthesizer was a point of contention for this band. Eddie saw it as the future. And yes, he was right because they were putting out hits during 1984 and then beyond that i will give van halen the foresight of saying 
we have to evolve. We have to make this bread and we have to get more radio play. And this could have looked like they were selling out. I don't think they sold out. I think most fans don't think they sold out, but this was a huge risk and it did change the band. It changed the chemistry. It changed where they were going. And I think David Lee Ross creative differences caused them, of course, to leave the band. The song is still popular, but it's saved by three things. It's got a catchy chorus. Uh, the brief guitar solo is great. And then Diamond Dave is trying to salvage it by, by still trying to sing it as a rock song when it really isn't. Is it a fantastic song? Yes. Did it help cause the breakup of the band? Maybe, right? Partially. When I think of Van Halen, I think of Good Time Rock, the best guitarist ever, uh, great drum solos. And even though David Lee Roth couldn't sing for shit, uh, he was an incredible front man. And, and I don't know if you guys heard, but he announced his retirement. He's yeah, he just announced his retirement. Yeah, yeah. That he's done. Yeah. yeah and, and crazy. I, he's, he's been done for a while now, right? His voice is just... <laughs> but here's my question. David Lee Roth was arguing, we got to be a rock band. We got to stay true to our roots. We got to, you know, tear the house down. But he leaves Van Halen. And what's the first album he puts on? Bop, scooty, bop, 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 boop. I mean, you know, he's, <laughs> he's not, he's not seeing, staying true to, to his own self. So I got a lot of mixed emotions about it. I do think, to Joseph's point, you know, songs like Panama Hot for Teacher, Girl, Girl Gone Bad, and all these other songs were more of the true to life rock songs whereas jump was an experimental song that they just happened to hit a home run with was that great for them yes does it make it the best rock song i think it's a risk i think it was a great decision i don't think it's the best rock song of the 80s though yeah i mean i i i, I can agree with some of your points but i think that it's the sound that it created and i think the sound that eddie van halen was kind of going for really influenced the rest of the rock scene and the hair metal bands for the rest of the decade you know not you can always say like there's a lot of bands that oh they put out a great song but they really didn't influence have any influence over the rest of the decade. I think this song specifically, not so much Hot for Teacher, not so much Panama because it kind of sounded like their old stuff. But this song specifically kind of jump started that '80s hair band where you had a lot of the synthesizer and you had the more like poppy, catchy tune to go with the rock and the and the guitar solo. Well, speaking of jump, let's jump right into Joseph's pick. Joseph, what do you got, buddy? Okay, so I was next. <laughs> uh, I, I just uh, gave you gold here and you fucking all. <laughs> no, <laughs> we'll cut it. All right, so uh, interesting enough, uh, interesting, interestingly enough, kind of what you mentioned, Bob, uh, picking, you know, not you didn't pick your favorite song off of that album uh, or, or from Van Halen of that time. Uh, you picked the one you thought, and I'm doing the same thing. I'm going with Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses, a band that I'm not really a fan of nor am I a fan of uh, Axl Rose himself, but I can understand and appreciate this song for its impact, which I'm going to get into. So released in 1987 uh, off of their Appetite for Destruction album, it reached number seven on the Billboard uh, Billboard Hot 100, if you're into those numbers. Uh, in 2009, it was named the greatest rock song of all time by VH1. Highly disagree. That's just kind of a crazy, but that's another story for another pod. And Rolling Stone listed it in its 500 greatest songs of all time. It actually came in at 491, which is kind of weird. This list was made up of all types of genres. So it's real crazy uh, to rate that scale. And I'm not sure 491 is a good number. It might not be considering the it's the 500. If you're coming in at 491, maybe it's not the best. Uh, but for context, I'll say Smells Like Teen Spirit was number five. Like Rolling Stone was number four. Change is Gonna Come was number three. Uh, number two was Fight the Power, and number one was Respect by Aretha Franklin. So again, very diverse group of music. So however you want to rank that is up to you. If you've read the stories about what this, what and how this song uh, is written, it's kind of odd. Axel Rose says that he wrote the lyrics while visiting a friend 
in Seattle uh, and how it was a big city feel. And at the time, it was small compared to LA. He said uh, that it was, even though it was like, you know, felt like that, he said, you can, um, you can get what you wanted. Uh, it, you can find whatever you wanted, even though it was a small town or something like that. Uh, while you're there, Izzy Stradlin summarizes the song. Did I say his name right? Stradlin? I mean, I don't know. Oh, that's, just... that's right. That's right. <laughs> Izzy Stradlin. Stradlin. <laughs> weird name, right? Uh, Izzy Stradlin summarizes a song about Hollywood street life, which until I did the research for this, I've always assumed that was the story behind the song. It's definitely what the music video implies. Uh, but if uh, but I didn't choose it based on how true to life the story of the song is or or what the music video tells you. I'll be honest. Uh, the song itself is a good song. The guitar play is amazing. You got Slash doing his thing, probably one of the greatest guitar players of all time. It's got one of the most iconic openings of all time. You hear that opening and you know what song you're going to hear immediately. If you're at a bar and you hear the cover band trying to start that opening, you might say to yourself, oh, fuck, please don't do this because it's just not going to work. <laughs> you know that opening and you know that other iconic riff before the lyrics kick in the dan 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 I mean, it's, it's crazy. Everybody knows this shit. I think the lyrics... And music go together greatly. And I say this not uh, actually being a fan of Axl Rose or his voice. I really don't like it. It's just not for me. But I recognize the song's impact. Again, I mentioned how the story of the lyrics might not be as true as the video. And I didn't also, quick thing, I didn't mention that the that the line, you know, you know where you are, you're in the jungle, baby. That was actually something that Axl heard a homeless guy say to him uh, and a friend of his in New York. But none of that matters. To me, this song... Uh, this song to me was a perfect gap between the hair metal bands like Poison, Motley Crue, Warrant, and the heavy metal bands like Metallica, Iron Maiden, Motorhead, Megadeth, Slayer, Anthrax. Thrash metal was huge scene uh, in the 80s. It was the underground scene. I mean, I know it wasn't commercialized, but it was huge. And Metallica were dominating that. And I think that this song was heavy enough to appease those listeners. And maybe that's due in part because of Slash and his guitar play. He's definitely respected among the metal community. And why wouldn't he be? It was released in 87. And I think it was kind of the perfect way to usher us into the next decade of music. Guns N' Roses were very successful in the 90s. We know this. They were very, very big. It did get a late start in the 80s. And that's fine. It came out in the 80s. So that's why it's on this thing. I think it did its part to kill glam metal, as funny as that may sound, because these guys were dressed a little flashy, but they weren't wearing makeup and spandex and frilly lace. Uh, they even toured with Metallica in the early 90s. Kind of a bad situation due to Axel's diva antics, but that's why I feel this is uh, this is the best song that bridged that gap. You had the thrash metal fans buying Guns N' Roses albums, and you had the Molly Crew fans and whatnot, the hair metal fans buying this album, and they coexisted together. And isn't that what we're here to do, guys? Live in peace think, and harmony? I don't, think, I don't think they liked each other. I don't think they liked <laughs> yeah, each other. Yeah, I don't think Axel got along with anybody. He had No, I know that. I know. Fan, yeah. No, but I'm talking about the fans. <laughs> didn't I'm talking didn't about Vince Neil challenge him to a fight or something like that? <laughs> he, you know, he challenged. Yeah, that's true. He did. Uh, no, but but I think this, like I mentioned, this was uh, the the gap the the gap song to, to bridge the gap between those those two now genres of fans. Could you, you imagine know? Vince Neil and Axel fighting today? I mean, can they even like go like two whole rounds? These guys are like in pretty bad shape. I don't know. Um, I'm sorry, Joseph. Were, were, were you? Uh, I'm done. Yeah. So <laughs> so is so are both of their careers. Go ahead, Randy. <laughs> Uh, okay, so you mentioned uh, glam metal, how Guns N' Roses, which I wholeheartedly agree on. Uh, you even saw them in the beginning of, of Welcome to the Jungle. You know how when they cut away and Axel has the wild hair, he's kind of 
making fun of the glam metal bands is from what I was told. And you mentioned the homeless guy sort of gave him that that intro uh, um, um, that intro to the song. Uh, hey, well, not the intro. That was it was more it was in the like towards the end. OK, uh, yeah. You know, the breakdown. Well, that homeless guy was David Lee Roth after kicked him out of the bed. No, but um, but I love this video. Uh, Los Angeles in the '80s, so gritty and grimy. This makes for two front men from Indiana making our selections: uh, David Lee Roth and Axl Rose. Only Ron Artest and Zach Morris made a successful transition from Indiana to Los Angeles. So good for them. Uh, you know, strangely, this video, uh, this song flopped after its initial release. I did not know this, but "It's So Easy" was the first song released on on Appetite for Destruction, which is it's a complete just kick down your door rock song. Not that uh, "Welcome to the Jungle" is it? "Welcome to the Jungle" is a little more stylized, but. They were 0 for 2 coming out the gate with those two songs. I mean, it's hard to think that, you know, at one point this video was only shown at 5 a.m. on Sundays. But, hey, it's the 80s. People were still up doing drugs at 5 a.m. on a Sunday. <laughs> so the song kept on being requested. MTV thought that they were like, hey, we'll play the song 5 a.m. on a Sunday. Nobody's going to listen to it. Everybody was coming, you know, home from parties, doing after parties. Of course, they're going to listen to this song on a Sunday morning at 5 a.m. and request it. Hard to think that Guns N' Roses used to be booed off stage. Uh, my old boss once told me that he went to a, a concert where um, uh, the it was it was the uh, Guns N' Roses was opening for the cult. And when the lead singer for the cult came on stage, uh, well, Guns N' Roses got booed off the stage, essentially what he told me. And I remember him telling me that when the lead singer of the cult got on stage, uh, he was saying, you guys are going to regret booing these guys because they're going to be one of the biggest bands in the world. And sure enough, they were. It's hard. It's even harder to think that they were Aerosmith's opening act in 1987. And by the end of the tour, they eclipsed Aerosmith and they were bigger than they were. And we talked about Aerosmith. Love the use of the song in the following movies, the Deadpool, when Jim Carrey singing along to it. Uh, Lean on me where inner city high school kids are beating the shit out of their teachers. Uh, the program where college kids are doing steroids in a football program. And in Selena, when Chris Pettis is getting his hair washed and his nails manicured. How could you forget that scene? <laughs> Why do you got to keep bringing up Selena? First, the TV show. Would you, would you claim he didn't like, but you watch all two seasons in a weekend? <laughs> it's great, man. Uh, and great. And by the way, I got another uh, uh, TV show suggestion. Uh, uh, Squid Game. It's it's a great. Oh show. yeah, yeah. I, I've seen yeah. I've seen Squid, the, the yeah. little preview on Netflix. It's kind of yeah. trippy. Yeah, it's our first episode. I'm hooked. Um, great introduction to GNR because it what defines an '80s. It's what defines an '80s rock song. But it has two elements, and it's that's it's loud and it's trashy, which eh, it's good, right? When we argued best seventies and nineties rock songs, we talked about multifaceted elements, interludes, intricacies, and this song only has two things going for it: it's loud and it's trashy. I'm not saying it's bad. We want to listen to loud and trashy sometimes, right? This song is what this song is what it is. It, it's a kick down your door in your face rock song. It was praised by their contemporaries. True. But there was very limited artistry other than it pumps you up and it makes you want to buy a motorcycle and drink whiskey out of a paper bag. They just scream. It's fucking annoying. I don't want to die, but it's a great song. And I just don't think it was the best song on the album. The song I chose, you know, spoiler alert, uh, you know, I'll go with it. I, I chose Sweet Child of Mine. We're, we'll get to my pick later. But I want to tell you why that song, when it's my turn, why that song was a better song. But second best song on the album, I will give you that. Oh I, I, I would, I would say that. Uh... It might even be, well, I would say second best album, but I would say Paradise City might be number one over over Welcome to the Jungle, not Sweet Child of Mine. But uh, talking about Guns N' Roses and Appetite for Destruction, their album came out in 87. Huge album, huge album. 
Now, uh, when I was trying to make my pick, and this is really important, I was trying to make my pick. So uh, two of my coworkers went to high school in the 80s. And I was like, hey, man, you know, I talked to both of them. I was like, what's the best 80s rock song of that decade? And they both immediately talked about Van Halen. And I was like, what about Guns N' Roses? They're like, well, you know, everybody kind of listened to that more in like the 90s. And I was like, yeah, but it came out in 87. True, but everybody still kind of, eh, they got really popular like in the 90s. And and going to what Joseph was saying, it kind of makes sense. You know, I don't think there were that gap, that bridge between the the thrash metal and the 80s rock music, Joseph. I think you were right when you, you, you hit the nail on the head when you said they were transitioning us from the late 80s to early 90s rock music. Uh, I think that they have more of a 90s rock song, early 90s rock uh, sound than they do an 80s rock sound. Their music does nothing for the 80s. It doesn't sound like an 80s rock song. It doesn't influence 80s rock songs. If anything, like you mentioned, it influences the 90s rock sound. So uh, uh, I think it came out too late. It got popular too late. Is it a great song? Fuck yes. Is it? Does it fire you up? Hell yes. Will I put it loud when I listen to it? Yes, I actually like Guns N' Roses uh, music. I know you don't, Joseph, but I honestly think it doesn't sound like an 80s song to me. And even the guys that went to high school in the 80s and graduated in the late 80s, they even mentioned, you know, oh, it's more like an early 90s song because it doesn't have that same uh, that same tone, well, that same sound. But that's my point. It's it, it's it doesn't sound like the typical 80s a uh, rock song it doesn't sound like the hair metal bullshit or the the bon jovi which ugh, bon jovi but so what did it do for the 80s then how was it, it the best it brought, song of the 80s if it didn't even it, sound like it, an 80s song it's that oh so you're what that's what makes it good is it it was able to put and i'm not just it, uh specific making it specific to like thrash but i'm talking about like just fans in general that wanted to listen to something a little bit heavier in the 80s that weren't into the to the poison dressing up like girls on their album cover like i mean it's not beautiful uh, man hey, beautiful be- man. i mean that's your that's your thing that's your thing but i mean did you see that album cover it's like it's, it's just like, a, what's like, up dude like you guys are got you guys like yeah you went and got glamour, glamour shots for your shots. album like okay <laughs> it's one of those things i'm know. not saying that it had to be everybody's cup of tea i'm, I'm saying that it was extremely- and it had it, it had three years popular. in the, three years in the eighties. I mean, if that's not enough to, I know people was like, like, oh, well, like, I mean, oh, they, God, they were real big they, in the nineties. They released it. It's been it's been three years in the eighties as an eighties yeah. song. So. Well, technically yeah. no, because they released it, then it didn't do as well, and then they re-released it, didn't they? Like in eighty-eight. I know, I know for a fact that it didn't really catch steam to like eighty-nine and ninety. That's when it was really hitting it big, or they were really hitting it big, and I think by that point it was too late. There's no way it could have any impact or influence on the eighties. Other than we're getting rid of this type of music, we're ushering a new era or a new decade in the 90s style of of harder rock, in my opinion. To Joseph's defense, I think the reason it sounds so detached from the 80s, which is a point I can and cannot argue, but what I can state is that in that era, specifically from like 86 to 90, you had a lot of glam rock going on, other than maybe Metallica, uh, Guns N' Roses, and some Motley Crue who are mainstream Everybody was doing the same formula. They had two sort of pop friendly, you know, uh, hard rock songs. And then you had your, you know, your love ballad and Guns N' Roses. Did they have their ballads? Yes, they did. But they also sounded very different. They were trashy. They were true to metal. And I think a lot of people, when they think about 80s rock music in that era, they're they're comparing them to the Poisons. They're comparing them to the Warrants and, and, and you know, all these other bands that that they were so unlike. And that's why I think people think, well, they were more of a of a of a forward band of a of a 90s band because i don't think of guns and roses in the same category as these glam rock bands yeah exactly i, I think that's the, i think that's the point i'm trying to make like i just don't 
think of Guns N' Roses when it comes to like 80s rock music and at the, the decade of 80s. I just don't I just don't think that sound is screams 80s. And I don't think you could. it's like a de- decade defining song. Yeah, but neither, think, ne- neither did one. One didn't scream 80s rock sound. But it's but it's the but it came not, on the 80s. You, you didn't choose one as your decade. I, didn't, I know best because, rock song of the 90s because they, it wouldn't make not. sense. Uh, I mean, I mean, neither does but, I, I, neither does Guns N' Roses. But let's but let's go back to our honorable mentions. Everything we mentioned was very broad. It wasn't just specific For sure. towards towards like the glam metal phase, which a lot of people associate the eighties to. And I think movies nowadays have done a, a poor job because it's a, it's a joke, right? Every time, like, oh, when I grew up listening to music in the eighties, they had the tease hair and the the makeup. <laughs> you see it on TikTok videos, and you see it on on me. I don't watch TikTok groups. videos. <laughs> Well, you know, the, the ones I do have <laughs> Teen Vogue. <laughs> and, and so we get caught up in thinking of a very it's kind of like the late 70s. Like we know there was great rock music in the late 70s. But every time somebody parodies the late 70s, what do they parody? They parody disco and disco was big, but it wasn't all encompassing. And that's why I think those glam rock bands weren't all encompassing. They played them a lot on MTV, but the 80s were, were, were much more than that. They were they were far more eclectic. I just think it was enough of the it had enough of the 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 hair metal stuff, even though it wasn't hair metal. You know, Axel was up there on stage wearing in the video, at least some what is he wearing? Like some tight pants. He had he did. Yes, he did have the leather pants. Hair and, you saw, you know, and you see them on stage were. and, and they, he actually kind of they they dress more like some early like punk bikers. punkers. Yeah, yeah like bikers. Like but bikers. Uh, you know, but it's so did every glam metal. Well, at least they tried to, you know, the ones that at least tried to wear like leather jackets and, and pants and whatnot, even though they had like teased up blonde hair and an eyeliner on. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's my like thing. I mean, I, look, I just think it, it was enough of of the popular, uh, you know, glam shit to appease that group and, and to bring in the, the the people that liked the heavy that's why that's why i went with it I, yeah I, you sure, like eating sure. it and this is because i'm not like the huge fan but like i mentioned the slash is fucking awesome that guy and it's maybe Man, just, we, gotta maybe, we gotta see him live we gotta see him live maybe i'm just not a fan of uh of axel's vocals and and, and was, i think the band could could do could be on their own to be honest with you maybe that's I, my thing axel rose but at we, least i i recognized it we're going to continue this Guns N' Roses conversation. <laughs> I, I I would say Axl Rose is is one of the best vocalists in in a rock band history. Oh my god! I mean, god. bass high, he could go high, he could go low. I mean, I think he's phenomenal. I mean, <laughs> this is the same, that's the same argument you use for the, all the white guys dancing in eighties music videos. <laughs> Are you serious? He dances like an angel. Have you seen it? Jesus Christ! Uh, have you heard <laughs> was it? it was Rolling Stones. Was it? Mick Jagger? You ever seen Mick Jagger? He dances better than everybody in the world. Fuck, man! You ever seen his, his hip shake? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going with my selection. I continuing the Guns N' Roses conversation. Sweet child of mine. I'm going to go start this off a little different uh, from my other intros. I'm going to use a Tom Cruise analogy. So, so follow along. When, <laughs> when Guns N' Roses released their first single, It's So Easy, that was GNR's first release. Didn't make a dent, didn't hit. Great song, right? But it didn't hit. This was Guns N' Roses as Tom Cruise on The Outsiders. Nobody cared about his part. He was a short guy with crooked teeth. Welcome to the Jungle was Tom Cruise in Risky Business. Makes a huge splash, becomes a central figure in pop culture lore, and this was his launching pad. This was only the beginning. Sweet child of mine. Okay, now that's Tom Cruise in Top Gun. Most noted role, most popular role, most rewatched, most quoted, and like Tom Cruise in Top Gun, who will be starring in, in the sequel Maverick sometimes, sometime at the end of this fucking decade. It's their callback song. It's their most noted song. 
So Sweet Child of Mine is their most popular song. I would think it's it's their biggest. To your credit, Joseph, Welcome to the Jungle, fantastic song. I think it knocked down the doors, but Sweet Child of Mine really elevated them to a band we knew that was going to have staying power. The band's first number one song, if Welcome to the Jungle, as I mentioned, kicked down the door, Sweet Child of Mine showed us that the band was here to stay, well, at least for seven years, right? Guns N' Roses did write what a lot of bands in the era did wrong with a sensitive rock song. When bands did sensitive rock songs at that era, they were very sweet, sort of saturated with a lot of bad harmonies and terrible vocals with a guitar solo. Guns N' Roses went the opposite direction. They made a heartfelt song. Uh, it was it was rock. It was loud. And it was it was a lot longer than what we saw because they didn't want to play the, the, the over five minute uh, version. The famous opening riff, as has been noted, came from the came from Slash, sort of playing a circus song, waiting for the band to, to start warming up. Uh, I think it was uh, Duff McKagan or maybe it was Izzy. I don't, I don't remember who said, hey, this is a great opener. Let's open the song with it. And of course, the rest was history. The song came from a, uh, just a, a pastiche of influences. How could you go wrong? Uh, it was influenced by Jeff Beck, Cream, Led Zeppelin. They were listening to a lot of Leonard Skinner at the time. The song was longer than the version we are used to hearing. That callback to 70s rock, right, that we were talking about earlier. There was an extra long guitar solo in another verse, but that was edited out because we apparently lost our attention span in the 80s, right? Blame it on MTV, video games, advertisement, and, and maybe even blame some of it on cocaine. Anyway, it, was Slash's fa- it, was, it wasn't Slash's favorite song because he felt it wasn't their shtick, but he acknowledges why it was their biggest hit. And that's what we're talking about, the best song. The original music video was to feature an Asian woman escaping to the United States with her baby. And at the end of the video, we see that the baby has been dead all along and was filled with heroin. And that's like a nightmare. Imagine if that was their video. That wouldn't have aged well, right? Uh, it was used in the movie The Wrestler, which I enjoyed a lot. Uh, uh, Mickey Rourke being a personal friend of Axl Rose allowed him to use it in that low-budget film. Uh, very heartfelt for that scene. Uh, Cheryl Crow does a horrible cover, but we're not talking about that. And Guns N' Roses took over 80s rock. To me, no other band. And defined the decades rock era more. They were raw, they were unapologetic, and together they were so brilliant. And I don't think you see that brilliance exhibited more than a song that was not only sensitive, not only rock, not only, you know, just went everywhere, but it brought the band together. People still love listening to it. I think that song has a meaning to certain people. And I don't think that song, a song like that can be emulated. I think you have a lot of sensitive rock songs that come and go, but Sweet Child of Mine just has a specific place in history where you could play it at clubs, you could play it at weddings, you could play it when you see your newborn child. It was just a wonderful song that just completely made the band rock stars. And that's why I picked it. It's definitely the rom-com. I would say it's the Jerry Maguire of the song. I think you got it wrong. It's not Top Gun Jerry Maguire. It's the one you want to cry to. You're, I'm not letting you get rid of me. That was that song for you. Okay, sorry. Go ahead, Joseph. November Rain Man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I don't know, man. It's You, you know, I know it's just uh, different because I was defending uh, my song and being a Van Halen song and I got to try it and I'm going to trash your song, a Van Halen song, even though I don't, I mean, excuse me, uh, Guns N' Roses song, even though I'm not particularly a, a fan of them. It's not the best song of the album. It's a hit most definitely. Uh, Slash again, like I mentioned in, in my song, he's amazing. This song I feel has better uh, vocal tones from Axel because of those low parts. And I thought, you know what, this, this, there was even at one point, I didn't know that it was actually him singing. I think it was, uh, it's that part where he's like, where do we go? I thought honestly, like Slash was singing like uh backup vocals or something like that. 
not squealing by Axel is always a great thing for me. But this is a ballad to me, bro. This is a this is a ballad, and we're talking. I know you're gonna try to say like, no, no, November Rain was a ballad. There's two ballads on this song. There anyway, was I. Stairway to Heaven was a sense, of, and we said it was one of the best rock songs of the '70s. So how is that that not an argument? This song is a ballad, Randy. <laughs> <laughs> this song is a ballad. Okay, I, we're we're just when I think of this song and rock ballads is a whole other thing. I mean, we can do uh best eighties ballad another time. And more than words, more than words. There is no argument. There is no argument. And I already know what yours was going to be. Yours is going to be that. Can you take me high? You know? oh, yeah. I love the damn Yankees. <laughs> Worst fucking song ever. <laughs> Uh, this doesn't make me want to like, you know, get up and, and party. You don't have to party, you know, to have a good time in the 80s. But this doesn't make me want to like get up and run or get up and 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 move around, jump around. I'm not I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to diss Sheryl Crow. But but if you got Sheryl Crow covering your song, uh, then this isn't a rock <laughs> song, bro. It's not like and I looked up all I tried to look up a list of, of songs that she's covered and i looked up a lot of them and and she's done a lot whether it was released on an album or just done live and the only band that she recovered that i was like hmm, interesting was led zeppelin everything else was just a bunch of random hits random songs from different people so if you got Cheryl crow covering your greatest rock song ever then it's not hey. really rock <laughs> no <laughs> the, offense to Cheryl crow but the, the it's 40, not rock you, sorry you don't like it early uh beer buzz early in the morning joseph <laughs> no thank you the four uh, non-blondes have covered Led Zeppelin. I'll just leave it at that. They are the greatest rock band of all one of them anyways. Agree with Joseph, and I agree with Joseph to that point. It, it, it's a ballad, but that's okay. Like you said, there's a bunch of different genres of rock. Again, it doesn't really scream 80s music. It screams, uh, hey, mom and dad, I know we did a big rock song a couple of weeks ago. Well, guess what? You'll like this one. This one you can listen to around your kids. You know, it's really <laughs> mom and dad friendly and you know, I think when everybody else is saying, you know, fuck you, parents, fuck you, establishment, fuck you, duh, I'm going to do what I want to do. Guns and Roses put out, you know, Welcome to the Jungle. And then they're like, might want to dial it back a bit so we can get those moms and dads back into our concerts. You know what? Sweet child of mine. This would be a great one they can listen to when their kids are born. They can make the VHS music video, uh, a music uh, uh, VHS tape uh, recording of their kids being born. Uh, I don't think I think it's a good song. I don't think it's a great song. Again. If we're talking about best song from Guns N' Roses, you, I think you got to lean more towards Welcome to the Jungle and, and Paradise City. I really do like Paradise City probably uh, best of all. But again, doesn't scream 80s to me. Very radio kid parent friendly, I guess. I know that sounds kind of stupid, but it really was. It, it sounds like something they wrote for a movie. And then later they used it for a movie and Big Daddy and I thought it fit it perfectly you know what i mean so uh i i, I have that problem maybe you can discuss i mean well, what do you have to say to that don't you think it's too it was too radio friendly rand what do you think I, I i do like the point you made about it being radio friendly yes i do <laughs> but i also think you're in an era where you have to make it remember they took away uh extra long guitar solo they took away another chorus to make it more radio friendly and that's why we're we're not hearing or we're not listening to the full version that Guns N' Roses wanted us to listen to. Uh, you have to understand that we all love these sensitive rock songs. I mean, Joseph, when you when we were talking 90s <laughs> rock songs, you mentioned tonight. That song has a very special meaning to Billy Corgan, has a very special meaning to you. But this is another song that 
I don't count it as a ballot. I know you guys keep calling it a ballot. I don't see, I see patience as a ballot. I don't think, uh, you know, a band's going to come up with two ballads within their first, you know, five releases. Patience is a ballot. Sweet Child of Mine is Patience just, is a virtue. <laughs> Sweet Child <laughs> of Mine is just a good rock song. And I think the fact that, you know, it's a little slowed down, it's a little more meaningful, it's a little deeper, and there's more layers to it that you're dismissing it as a ballad when it's not a ballad. I'm not I, saying there's I, anything I, I wrong think, with it being a ballad, yeah, though, but I, I am calling it a ballad. I, think, <laughs> I mean, I think that when you were like, you know, let's say 21 years old, 22 years old, you heard this song, you're like, ah, eh, fuck this song. And then you get old, you get married, you have kids, and you're like, man, it's one of their best fucking songs ever. <laughs> I yeah, they really it. nailed the nail on the head with this one. I really do think this is their greatest hit. And I think that, I think it, it may, I, I'm, and all jokes aside, I really do think that. If you were a 22-year-old kid uh, listening to Guns N' Roses, you'd be all over, you know, Welcome to the Jungle and Paradise City. And this one would be kind of like, eh, you don't think I don't so? know. And then I think as you get older, you know, you can appreciate it more. Not saying that that's a bad thing, but that's uh, <laughs> just where I stand on the subject of this song. What? Let me ask you, Craig, let me ask you this. What influence did it have on the 80s? I think it had a tremendous impact on the 80s. First of all, it was a number one hit. Secondly, you have to consider that it made bands more, I guess you could say, welcome to introduce that sort of slower paced rock song. We saw it a lot in Nirvana's Nevermind. Um, um, we saw a few of the of the slower songs that were that were great songs. Uh, Something in the Way is, is one that comes to mind. I wouldn't call that a ballad. I would call it a slower rock song. But this song also goes in, in waves. It, it, it picks up, it goes down, it picks up, it goes down. And you saw that a lot in the influence of the night. We were just talking about it during our Nirvana uh, episode where songs would go quiet, loud, quiet, loud. This is a little different because it doesn't go quite loud, but it does go slow rock, slow but rock. It, but it does make you cry. But the, the, but <laughs> but this is a but this is the thing about the eighties. Though we don't, you're right. We don't call quieter songs or softer songs nowadays. You know, in the nineties and and now ballads because I think ballads are 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 an eighties thing, a specific eighties thing, and that's like I said, something that we could talk about another time. An eighties ballad. You we had all these bands doing like the the party uh you know the the here i go again um song and or something like that and then coming out there with their next one was the soft song whether or not it was about love or 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 the subject matter of of uh sweet child of mine it was still the the softer song on the album so you had the is this love and that, you know, everybody had in the 80s and it was called power the ballad. 80s ballad power, the 80s power ballad. Power ballad so yeah i understand we don't we don't call the stuff nowadays ballads but I think that's I, maybe specific to the eighties because I, I mean, there, there are albums that are released called power ballads of the eighties. I, 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 I power <laughs> ballads of all time. And then you fucking hear heaven is it too. <laughs> you, know, you hear those. I, I, I don't think that I, I think you're, I think you're kind of right, but kind of wrong. I wouldn't necessarily call it a ballad. I would call it their radio friendly, you know, mom and pop song. You know, I, I think that was more for a little more commercial adult contemporary type of shit. Which is kind of weird considering they did, you know, Welcome to the Jungle and Paradise City and they're, you know, these dressing like bikers and they're, you know, hmm. this is a song I wrote after my I, sister had her kid, you know what I mean? That I type think, of thing. I think we're so taken aback by Sweet Child of Mine because I'm looking at the the track listing on uh, Appetite for Destruction. There's a lot of songs about women on here. Uh, my Michelle, Think About You, Rocket Queen. And all those songs are about just tearing it up and being wild and crazy. And then when you 
do a shift to Sweet Child of Mine. We're, we're not anticipating that. We don't expect that. It doesn't sound like Rocket Queen. It doesn't sound like My Michelle. It sounds completely different. And I think that's why people are saying, well, it's not a rock song in the tradition of what My Michelle, Rocket Queen, or Welcome to the Jungle, or It's So Easy, or any of these songs are. But it is still a traditional rock song that has a heavy influence. Because if Guns N' Roses released every song that sounded like Welcome to the Jungle, uh, Mr. Brownstone, I don't think they escape the 80s i don't think they go into november rain in the 90s i don't think they go into the use your illusions one and two and and sing for the terminator and all that other song i think they would be stagnant so what i think the influence of sweet child of mine is is that it gave the band depth it gave them a, a, a wider audience and it made them just a bigger rock band than they were already were. Did, did you say a whiter audience or a wider audience? A wider. White. Oh, they said white, like white <laughs> well, hair, like the grandparents <laughs> listening to it. Saying that's pretty good. I, I, uh, I, I honestly think you hear Sweet Child of Mine just like I do with, with Paradise City and just like I do with Guns N' Roses. I know y'all disagree completely, but I hear 90s rock and I hear it as a adult, uh, and a contemporary rock song of the 90s. It doesn't scream 80s to me. It doesn't. It doesn't, I, I just don't hear anything 80s from Sweet Child of Mine for sure. Definitely not. It doesn't scream 80s to me. So I don't know how it has that, that kind of influence on 80s rock music. So, so when you say it sounds more era specific to the 90s, I mean, is there any sort of uh, equation to that? Is there, is there like an equal? Like, does it sound to you like an Alice in Chains? Does it sound to you like? Yeah, well, uh, I think, I think, I think it's like, like you said, like November Rain came out in 1991. Yeah, I want to say it was 91. I think, yeah. And I, 91, 92. I think they all kind of sound like that. That's the type of music that was coming out in, you know, in, you know, 90, 91, 92. And then it, it bled into or led into the grunge era, which came out in what? I guess you're 91. saying it's around the same yeah. time, right? Yes. Yeah, 91, time. 92. So, uh, you know, I think it has more of a hard rock influence. Guns N' Roses specifically. Uh, not so much that that poppy MTV uh, um, synthesizer type of, you know, glam rock, hair metal bullshit that, that was in the 80s. I think it, it it's... It's more of, I know it was such a small period of time. I think it, it was a perfect transition from 80s rock to 90s rock that led to the grunge era. If that makes any fucking sense, it probably doesn't. I see what you guys mean, uh, Bob, what you say about mine. And, and uh, I, I understand that, Bob. Like, I say, if yes. we're going to nitpick with everything like that, then, then we'll have to, like, maybe set up some parameters when we go forward with with you know topics like this that if it came out in 87 or after 86 then you can't really talk about it well, I you can you can if, it's, but, if it but, had an impact like back and it in did black, well that back, and that's what that's what i feel like my the song did have an impact like, well back, in, really back in black by acdc came out in 1980 and it was fucking awesome but it sounds like 70s rock. It doesn't. It does. And and you you made, you hit the nail on the head. But I think a lot of times we think of the 80s from 80 to 89, when in reality, it's really like 82 to like 87 when we're yeah. thinking of like the main, you know, like if you listen to like early rock songs in the 80s, like 80, 81, they're really shitty yacht rock or they're like ACDC. That sounds like. What do you have against yacht rock? Oh, I love yacht. We're going to do a show on that eventually. <laughs> My buddies, that's like his jam, dude. <laughs> you know, to conclude the, the Guns N' Roses talk, I want to end it on a joke because it just came to me. Have you all seen the meme where like some girl posts a picture of young Axl Rose and she says, I wish I could date a guy who looked just like that. And old, old Axl <laughs> yeah. Rose says, hey, hey, what's up? And, you're hey, like, what's no, up? and she was like, why did she say something? She, like, said, oh, she, no. says, she just says no. And no. He says, and he's like, hey, I'm the guy in the picture. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shit. Poor <laughs> Axel Rose.
I don't know if that's fake, but it's hilarious. Man. It's gotta too be much, too I much can't believe... Botox, man. Too much both. I don't know why the hell people he did. I that, can't dude. believe I've argued so much for a, a band or a song that I don't really like. I just, but hey, like I said, I went with I I didn't think there was any point to me talking about raining blood by Slayer for 15 minutes. <laughs> You would have gotten a few people who would have been with you. I'm sure. <laughs> like, yeah, that guy knows what he's talking about, man. <laughs> Brother. Yeah. Um, last couple of questions, guys, to wrap this up. We we talked during our last uh, few decades episodes. Bob, you said 70s were the best era of rock. Uh, Joseph, you said 90s. So you all agree on something. The 80s wasn't the best era of rock. Why isn't the 80s the, the best era of rock and roll? Why do you, Why would you guys say that? I think it's too diverse. Like we mentioned, there's there's too many... There's too much going on. I think there's too much, uh, too much of that spandex stuff. Uh, the songs <laughs> that we do like probably weren't getting the radio play, and that's cool with me. I mean, like I said, I, I don't, I don't need to listen to something that's on the radio. Uh, but I guess because of that, because uh, it was so, we didn't look at this whole. We we don't acknowledge. Uh, I think '80s rock is not acknowledged as it's as the whole uh, that it is, and we. Like how we're talking about it now. We talk about when we say like what we said, we think about 80s rock and we think about the spandex and the the weird uh puffed up teased hair, the the eyeliners, the uh, you know, the that whole thing and 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 it overshadows some really good songs that like hey that we talked about, but everybody knows the bands that we talked about. But I'm sure there's a lot of songs that we could talk about that were really great songs that you probably didn't hear because they weren't that I, mold, I guess. I, uh, I, I think that um, uh, I don't think that it's because it was diverse. It was because it was so poppy and and commercial and MTV centric. You know, I, I'm. It's also has to do with personal preference. But like, I was a huge. I'm a huge fan of of hard rock and bluesy rock. In that, even the psychedelic bluesy rock, like that Pink Floyd uh, delivers. That's more my my style of my and my taste, and it completely changed in the eighties. You know, it went to the super poppy, super like I said, the synthesizer, the the, the poppy guitar. Uh, even the guitar solos were like, you know, they're fucking smiling in the camera type of shit. You know what I mean? And then we got to the nineties, and then we had this grunge. We had this more distortion. They kind of brought back the distortion, but and instead they were singing the blues, but kind of in a different way. It didn't have that. It was it was blues in in lyrics, but not blues kind of centric in the guitar play. So it was kind of a, a, a different style of, of that type of music that I really like. The 80s was great, man. I mean, the 80s really was great. They put out some great music. The 80s was awesome. Don't get me wrong. I'm just uh, more attached or like I, I feel like the 70s rock scene and the 70s rock music in general was just it hit on all cylinders for me. And another thing, too, real quick. I'm sorry. Uh, no, is the the, the uh, another reason why I don't I don't think of it is because we talk about like the sixties and seventies and nineties and and we just talk about the music like and the songs and what they're about and it just uh, I think this at least the stuff that was popular like I mentioned it was just so one track minded songs like we talked about earlier party 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 girls there was a you know the 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 female musicians sang about different stuff too what's her name um. Ann Wilson, hell of a vocalist. I didn't mention her in the beginning, and, and that's my fault. Ten times better than Joan Jett. I mean, so I, I think this, but the the dominance of the one-track-minded songs that we mostly hear and, and think about when it comes to the to the 80s rock, I think that's why 
it's it's not obviously not the best and probably you know third or fourth on the list if we're talking about like 60s 70s and 90s and and hell even maybe the the 2000s i think uh, and my my answer is very short and, and it sort of connects with with your with both your answers the 80s were on an island uh they were they were completely uh experimental they were trying different things they were trying to to grab at audience now because they had this visual medium with mtv and 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 you know it was all about the look and i think for a little while the music suffered because everybody was so concerned about their image uh some bands pulled it off some bands stayed you know making great music and still maintaining their their image but i think oftentimes that the image was so we were so fixated on the image that I don't think that, you know, bands took the music as seriously, not all bands, of course, because, you know, you can't talk about Guns N' Roses and Metallica and, and some of these other bands who, who thrived in the eighties or who were coming up in the eighties, but there were a lot of bands. Like, I mean, I listened to like old school Motley Crue, like early eighties Motley Crue compared to late eighties Motley Crue. And it's just so different. I mean, I know they're older, more refined, but I just don't think there was like the, the I wouldn't call them more refined. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not more refined. Yeah. Maybe that's not, that's not the best word to describe them, but it, it, there's the hunger and, and the want and the energy just isn't there. I mean, it's there, but it wasn't as prevalent. It has nothing to do with age, but everything to do with image. And, and I think that's what bothered me. Last question, guys. We saw that the 90s fall back to more of the 70s instrument-driven rock. Bob, you mentioned the, the blues influence and, and the, the guitar solos and stuff. And the 80s influence fell to more of an electronic pop scene, uh, not, not as popular as grunge or metal. Did the 90s correct the 80s rock scene or are musicians just influenced by the music prior to the decade they, they grew up in? Do you think the 90s helped to correct everything? I, I don't think it corrected. I just think the corrected the 80s. I think that music just evolves and changes every decade, you know? From the 50s to 60s, from 60s to 70s, 70s, 80s, 80s and 90s, and so on. I think that music just evolves, you know? People get tired of hearing the same old type of popular shit or whatever's going on in that decade, and they kind of transition to a new sound or bring try to bring back an old sound and kind of make it their own way. Uh, so I don't, I don't think necessarily it corrected it. I just think it evolved like music does, music always tends to do. I think it's a little bit of both. I think it, it corrected it, and, and also, in a way, you know, bands are influenced by what they grew up with. The bands that we listened to in the 90s, uh, if, if we looked them up, they had a you know heavy influence from the 60s and 70s rock. Uh, I think we saw that still in the 80s that, uh, or for sure, I'm pretty sure, uh, I know this for a fact, uh, that the, the 80s, uh, at least the, the the hard rock bands or the metal bands, they were influenced uh but they didn't, you know, they hated what was going around. They were, they were influenced by Sabbath and, and Deep Purple and Zeppelin and Floyd. And, and they had a great influence on, on what they did in the eighties. And um, I think us, like as the nineties kids or the nineties the grunge kids, I think a lot of them were, or the nineties grunge musicians, a lot of them were born in, in the seventies, I think possibly. And so maybe oh, yeah. they grew up, they grew up listening to that seventies rock as well. Uh, so th- they, it doesn't seem like they were particularly influenced by 80s rock bands. Uh, I really don't know what influenced these 80s rock bands to do what they did. I mean, maybe it was a cash grab. Maybe it was, uh, you know, the party. Like, I, it's, it's, I can't pinpoint that, and I'm, I'm not going to speak for them. So that's a really weird, uh, or, or that's a question I'd like to, to know. You know, what influenced or this style? Because I've always known it to be like, you know, like I said, the 90s kids grew up listening to the 70s rock, you know, or the, the 90s musicians. And then the 80s, what did we get? The 80s should have tread, should have influenced the 2000s rock. Is that what we got that rock, rock rap for three years? 
<laughs> I don't know if that came from the eighties. I think honestly, when we, when we think of eighties, it was all, I don't know. It was just all style over substance. And um, not that they weren't, I mean, we just reeled off tons of great eighties songs, but I mean, what if there wasn't MTV? What if there wasn't these visuals? Would it have been different? Now, I know what what people listening will say. Well, Kiss was a a stylish band. Uh, you know, there was other <laughs> bands in the seventies that that did the makeup and did. Yeah. The, Speaking know. of uh, video killing the radio star, <laughs> yes, we should have never seen those guys without makeup. You're right; they had no business. And I will say this to wrap everything up: as as long as there are mothers drinking and going out and doing karaoke in their strip clubs, '80s rock music will never die. That's that's my final word. Final thoughts on '80s rock music, guys. You know, it it, it is what it is. We like we've already mentioned. Um, it's going to be remembered mostly for the teased hair and the the excess party, but it's not it's it's not typically my favorite uh, genre, but I uh, or time of, of music. But it did give me some great bands that i do like you know specifically metallica like i've mentioned many times before <laughs> I, I i had a great time this week going back and listening to 80s music you know you had those nights where you want to jam to 70s rock and sometimes 90s grunge and then a lot of times you listen to 80s rock music it was a really great decade of music man something different you know when you want to listen to that genre or that type of rock you're like well you got to listen to 80s rock if you want something different so uh i i had a great time you know researching everything and looking it up and watching music videos the past week it's, it was a lot of fun and we all agree that nobody could sing like the lead singer from cinderella that guy sounds like he's gargling thumbtacks <laughs> <laughs> nobody's fool <laughs> that's our show everyone listeners we'd love to hear from you what is your all-time favorite 80s rock song and what rock songs did we not mention from that decade most importantly let us know what you think about the show you may reach us at formidableopponents at gmail.com Follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. Just search for Formidable Opponent. <laughs> Join us next episode on October 18th. We're taking a week off, and our topic will be scariest movie scene. For Bob and Joseph, this is Randall. We'll see you all in two weeks. They're going to burn in hell. <laughs> What's going on, guys? <laughs> <laughs>